0: his day off yesterday me and pastor and uh, Michael spent some quality time up in the attic (laughs) vacuuming insulation out and uh, we're doing a fundraiser by the way we're selling giant family-sized bean bags they're out there in the dumpster 50 bucks a pop you can get your whole family on one of those things just make sure you wear a mask And while we were up there, I I cut myself on something. And I think I got some fiberglass insulation in it because it was really burning. And so I went to get a Band-Aid. This is just my way of explanation, so you all know. And uh, the only one that was in the box was pink. And it had uh, Crayola on it. It's in the shape of a crayon. So family life, you know. Just so we got that out of the way i hope this doesn't distract anybody. It's going to distract me for sure. It's not the worst of it. After that, I shine my boots with a baby wipe. I mean, I'm a practical man, you know. You use what you got. Besides that they smell really good. They smell kind of like a baby, like a baby. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm really excited about what God is doing. <clears throat> it's good to have everybody here that's here today, the uh, Martinez family, we're glad you're here. I heard you had five kids, I'm counting like seven, so I don't know if you're aware of that, but you've got <laughs> more than you thought. And I met Caleb and Nathaniel and Jonathan, Caleb, Nathaniel, and Jonathan, good to meet you guys. Caleb, Nathaniel, and Jonathan, when you get to be my age, you're bad with names and so repetition helps. Caleb Nathaniel and Jonathan don't know if that's the order in which you three were invented but that's the order I learned your names in so we're gonna go with that praise the Lord did I give I didn't give you the scriptures did I you were waiting for them. I almost forgot give him every bit of help he can get if you could stand with me and turn to Genesis chapter 22 I'm gonna read two verses Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Pastor Thorson, would you pray for us today? Lord Jesus, I pray now that you would anoint for the Mac to bring forth your message, God, to us. And that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to perceive. what your message is for the church today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can all be seated. Praise the Lord. Before we launch into this... uh <clears throat> Uh, very significant account here in the life of Abraham. I want to take you to James chapter 2 and verse 19. A scripture that I've been thinking about this week. And I'll tie this all together later. Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. He says, you believe there is one God, but even the devils know this. And they tremble. And we do well to know and believe that there is but one God, right? And the apostle James drops this stunner right in the middle of a discourse examining faith that spans most of two chapters, okay? And why is that? How does that fit in there? Because the foundation of our faith is the revelation of the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ and the oneness of God. And even the devils know there's only one God, but that knowledge produces nothing in them. It doesn't cause anything positive in them. Uh, our faith, our personal intimate knowledge of God, and that's just a, uh, a nutshell version of the definition of faith. It is, it's our personal intimate knowledge of God. And you can go to Second Peter chapter 1 for uh, verification of that. But that faith is going to produce something tangible in our lives that the rest of the world can see. Amen. And then James in uh, the next verse, verse 20, he says, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Do you realize that? That faith without the accompanying works that it will produce means nothing. It's dead. And uh, I like to read other versions of the Bible just to get uh, a different take on things. And uh, the contemporary English version, the CEV of this, says, does some stupid person want proof that faith without uh, deeds is useless? I'm not sure that I'd say it that way, but I get the point. So the word vain... There, it means empty-handed or useless or fruitless. And James is talking about those who boast of having faith, but it produces nothing in their lives. What is that good for? Nothing at all. So the devils know there's only one God, and I think they would know. Wouldn't they? Having such an awareness of spiritual things. And we do well to acknowledge this foundational truth. And you know, I want to have at least as much knowledge as the devils do. I want to know God at least as well as they do, right? This foundational truth is the beginning of faith. And when combined with obedience, it will produce works in us. And so now we get into Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar, James gives us a living example of a man who has faith that produced something, okay? Verse 22, Seest thou how faith wrought his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And again, the CEV in that uh, renders that verse, Now you see how Abraham's faith and deeds worked together. He proved that his faith was real by what he did. Amen. So I want to talk to you for a little bit today about the journey to Mount Moriah and back. Praise God. So back to Genesis uh, verse uh, chapter 22 and verse 2. This... Uh, mm, very very significant passage of scripture here and he said take now thy son thine only son isaac whom thou lovest anybody notice how he throws that in there was that even needed to be said everybody knew that isaac loved abraham we even know it but god just just includes that right there that's interesting And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Anybody ever read that verse and then just sat back and thought about it? Anybody ever read that and thought, what if that was me? Come on now, this is a real book, all right? These aren't fictional stories here. This is real stuff. This is real people. This is a real circumstance here. And... Just think about what you would think and experience if God commanded you to do that. One of your own children. I heard somebody say one time that we, we don't know exactly how old Isaac was, but he know he wasn't a teenager because if he was, it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. <laughs> there was even some teenagers that thought that was funny. <laughs> they know So how could Abraham obey the Lord in this? Because he knew who God was. He knew that his God was the God and he knew God's character. He knew that whatever God did, that it was ultimately going to turn out for our good. No matter how unlikely that appeared to be. He also knew and trusted what God had said to him about being a father of nations. And that was going to come through Isaac as was recorded back in Genesis chapter 17. And it was verse 5 that says, Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And Romans 4.17 refers back to that says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. I like that phrase. Calleth those things which be not as though they were. And we know that it's God that quickens or gives life to the dead as uh, not just dead bodies, but dead reproductive systems like he did with both Sarah and Abraham. And he calls those things which be not as though they were. And he alone does these things. And there are a lot of places throughout Scripture where God tells us about who he is and the things that he does. And he's letting us know that he's not like us. He's setting himself apart from everything else. He asked the question uh, in Isaiah, is there, is there anybody like me? Is there, is there even another God that's like me? There is none that's like me. What will you compare me to? So many, many times throughout scripture, he's drawing uh, distinctions between him and everything else that's not him. And this is one of those verses. He alone commands the powers of heaven and earth. And he alone is able to cause these things to happen uh, that are not yet. And uh, this verse right here in Romans doesn't confer this power to us to call those things which be not as though they were any more than it confers to us the power to quicken the dead. Uh, To be clear, we don't have the authority to do anything, to call anything that be not as though it were, unless God wills it to be so. Unless thus saith the Lord happens first. So this verse draws a distinction between God and everything else. He is unique. He is exclusive. There's nothing and no one like him. He sets himself apart from creation frequently. That's what he did through most of the questions for Job. He was letting Job know, you're not like me. I do things that you can't explain. I do things that you can't even understand. Science is just now beginning to catch up with with things in the Bible. They're just now beginning to explain things that the Bible has spoken of long ago. And uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5, 6, and 7, he says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. How many of you know how far that is? From the rising of the sun to the west? I mean, it's always sunrise somewhere in the earth, right? And it's also sunset somewhere in the earth. So that's a pretty big span. There is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isn't that an interesting verse? I create peace and evil, it says. Did that grab anybody's attention? He's not the source of evil, but it's just a consequence of his creating. Just sort of like when you form light, that makes darkness possible. When you create peace, that makes evil possible. Praise the Lord. So back to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 3. It says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning. Anybody ever wondered why he rose up so early in the morning? I wondered why he got up so early in the morning. I mean, I'm an early riser myself, but why is it noted here that he rose up early in the morning? Was it to beat the heat or beat the traffic or was it to beat Sarah out of bed? (laughs) Maybe he just wanted to get on his journey before she got up. That's just pure conjecture, but I know women doesn't say anywhere in here that she was on board with this whole thing or that she even knew anything about it. Honey, where are you going? Oh, we're going to go take a trip and offer a sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? I mean, Isaac bought his excuse, but I'm not sure that Sarah would have. I think I'll go with you. Oh, no, no, no. No, you can't do that. No, no, no. Yeah, I like what um, Brother Harrison points out in his class, Analytical Thinking, that after this, Sarah and Abraham are never recorded together in the Bible. <laughs> and when she dies, she's living in Hebron and he's living in Beersheba, 30 miles away. <laughs> now, that, that may not mean anything at all. So you can take that for whatever it's worth. <clears throat> but this was, a, uh, this was a three-day trip that he made to Moriah. And he's got a lot to think about for three days, doesn't he? It doesn't say that he agonized over this. But... There's a lot of times when the Bible doesn't include the emotion there. It did include the emotion in chapter 21 when he had to send Ishmael away. When Sarah said, you need to put that woman and her son out. And it says, and the thing was very grievous to Abraham because of his son. Now, if putting one of his sons out was very grievous, I wonder what stabbing one with a dagger and creating, uh, cremating him would, would generate inside of him. I'm guessing he probably chewed on that for a few days. I don't know, that's all conjecture. But, uh, and, and, and then there's Isaac. This is how I'm sure Sarah found out about it. Because Isaac was a young lad and young lads, you know, they talk almost as much as young lasses. They got home and maybe he was really excited about what happened and he should have been and told mom all about it. And man, I can see her hitting the ceiling I don't know. I don't know. That's just conjecture. <laughs> but I have a hard time believing that, uh, that Abraham wasn't very, very somber throughout this whole thing, that he wasn't uh, very heavy hearted. Uh, not so much because Isaac was supposed to be the avenue by which God's promise was to be fulfilled. And uh, Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham calculated that God was able to raise Isaac right back up and fulfill that promise. But I just can't imagine that this was going to be an easy thing simply because it was his son and he loved him. Uh, as the Lord pointed out to him in verse 2 when he told him what to do. Praise the Lord. He may have suffered a little bit on that trip. I mean, we're, we're just talking about a human being. He wasn't, he wasn't a super, superhero just yet. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10 says, But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I think it might be possible that Abraham may have suffered a little bit on that journey to Moriah, on the journey to his perfection and his establishment and his strengthening where some things were settled. Praise the Lord. So, the the trying of our faith that James spoke of in chapter 1 is not a trying of our faith unless that process contains a certain measure of difficulty. Anybody say amen to that? Anybody lived that? Anybody testified that that's the way it is? It did say, uh, you know, it Abraham just obeyed. He just he just went forward without without. Uh, any complaint, it doesn't say that he said anything about it. It gives us nothing, but he just obeyed. And because of that, James says, by works was faith made perfect. How many of you know what the word perfect means? It means complete, entire, lacking nothing. It was by Abraham's obedience to this very difficult command that his faith was made perfect. Perfect. And that's not saying that it was shown to be, uh, not only saying that it was shown to be perfect or complete by obedience, but it says that it was made perfect. It became perfect when he obeyed. His faith was fully developed at that point. Do you see that? That faith was made perfect by his work or by his deeds. And the work in this case was obedience to something very, very difficult. And uh, during this, uh, this whole thing, uh, we can pick up in uh, verse 10, Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He was ready to do it. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Isn't that an interesting statement? For now I know that thou fearest God. Did God not know how much Abraham feared him before that? Come on. Somebody tell me. He knew. You bet he knew. He knows everything. There isn't anything that God didn't know. So he knew exactly what that was. So that verse has to mean something different than, now I know. It wasn't that anything changed in God. Something changed in Abraham. It wasn't that God didn't know something, it's that Abraham didn't know something before that. For now I know that thou fearest God. Did God not know the level of Abraham's faith prior to this? He absolutely did. Did he not know the measure of his commitment prior to this? pastor's been talking about commitment on Tuesday nights. Did God not know the level of Abraham's commitment? He knew exactly what it was. Did something change in God that day? Did he realize something that he didn't know? Absolutely not. In applying what we know about God, uh, we know he never changes, and we know that there wasn't anything about this that he didn't know. So nothing changed in the Lord that day, but something changed in Abraham. Something congealed inside of him. See, we can make a commitment with every intention of keeping it, but until that commitment is tested, it remains only a theory, both in our minds and in the minds of those that are gonna be affected by it. And what good is that? How good is a the theoretical commitment? Is that worth anything at all? Not really. It's sort of like jello that hasn't set up yet, just sloshing around there in the refrigerator. All the ingredients are in place, everything's there, but it just hasn't really come together yet like it's supposed to. And, uh, or made perfect, to use the words of the Apostle James. So the commitment has to be tested. And when it's tested, something changes in us. Something happens inside of us. God said, now I know you fear me because Abraham's fear of the Lord had been untested and thus imperfect or incomplete prior to that. Something happened in Abraham that God said, now you fear me like you didn't before. Praise God. So that's why James leads off with this discourse on faith, beginning in uh, chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. How many of you counted joy when you fall into diverse temptations? How many of you see trouble coming, you're you're fixing to step in and you go, oh, this is going to be great. No, we avoid that stuff like the plague, don't we? We see it coming, we go the other direction. We don't want anything to do with that. James says you should count it all joy. Of course, he did say when you fall into it. That's usually accompanied by a word like oops or something like that. Knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. How many of you want more patience? Or as he's talking about endurance here, how many of you want more endurance? How many of you want the ability to stand steadfast? Well, it's the trying of your faith that works that. I wish it was different. I wish that it was any other way but that. I wish that eating good food like pizza and donuts... Would would work patience and endurance, but it doesn't work that way. It's difficult things. And ice cream, these are a few of my favorite things. Verse four, but let patience have her perfect work. Why? Why should we let patience have her perfect worth? Jesse, work. That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Yeah. Who wants to be perfect and entire and lacking nothing? The LITV, another one of the versions that I like, I like it a lot actually. It says, but let patience have its perfective work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And the ISV says, but you must let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. And if it's trials that bring that about, then what are you before the trial happens? Imperfect, incomplete, lacking something. Nothing changed in God that day, but something sure changed in Abraham. And God said, now I know you fear me because Abraham didn't fear God before this event as much as he did after. Something came together inside of him. When, when, when a commitment is just theoretical, even inside of us, even though we have every intention of keeping it, it's not until after that that we look back at it and go, wow. You look at things differently because you're a different person after that. Remember in in John chapter 2 Mary uh, The mother of Jesus put him in charge of that affair, right? She came to him and she said I have a problem and he said yes, you do and it's your problem not mine And he wasn't being disrespectful because he doesn't do that basically what he said was I can't do anything because I don't have authority here and She didn't just ask him. Well would you mind if I put you in charge? Can I give you the authority? She just dropped it in his lap and said to the servants, whatever he says, do it. And immediately he tests that commitment in an outrageous way, didn't he? It wasn't just regular old water for cooking that he turned into wine. It was foot washing water. And when that servant, he said, take, take, fill, the, fill the pots up with water, And then uh, dip some out and take it to the governor of the feast. And when that guy dipped it out, guess what was in that vessel? Foot washing water. Anybody ever been through foot washing? Anybody ever been through about three or four foot washings and looked at the water? Come on now. What's in there? Dirt. Well, what was in this water? That's different. Dirt. Animal feces, hair, human hair, dead skin maybe. Yeah, it was gross. That's why this was so outrageous. Take a cup of that and take it to the governor of the feast. Now, you think Mary wasn't standing right there watching all this? And what she doesn't do is go, whoa, wait a minute. That's far enough. I was with you right up until that part of it. No, we can't do that. No, she stands there quietly. Why? Because she's not in charge anymore. She made a commitment and she stuck to it. I'm not in charge. I'm sure he knows what he's doing here. We'll just have to see. See, a commitment is just a bunch of words until it's tested. That's all it is. It has zero value until it's tested. Our faith is made perfect when we obey Him. That's the works that James is speaking of here. It's always gonna be obedience to whatever the Lord tells us to do, not just going about doing our own ideas of what good works are in His name. That's not what this is about. How did that work out for, uh, for that bunch in Matthew chapter seven that the Lord was talking about when He said, many are gonna to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out devils in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works? No, you didn't do any of that stuff. That's not what he says. Well, you didn't do it in my name. He didn't say that either. He didn't argue with them. And they weren't blowing smoke in his face either here. They're standing in judgment. They're telling the truth. They had prophesied in his name. They had cast out devils. They had done wonderful works. But something was wrong in that whole thing. It wasn't in obedience and in accordance with the will of God. We're not just doing our own thing here and calling it His. He is working His plan and we're taking our place in His kingdom and doing whatever He says to do. And that obedience to what He says is what validates our faith which is your personal intimate knowledge of the person, the identity, and the plan of God. That means you know who he is that enables you to discern what he's doing. You know what he's up to, and you align yourself with what he's doing, which, by the way, is all about him. It's not all about you. Praise God. Perfect faith begins with a revelation of his person and identity, and it results in us working his plan in harmony with him. That means we don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to try and look around and figure out what it is we've got to do. He's already got that all worked out. We just need to line ourselves up with him and work his plan, which is guaranteed to succeed. My plan is guaranteed to fail. Ask me how I know that. Read you a few more verses here. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mark 8:34. And when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Luke 23, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. Now look, when, when the different gospel writers recorded their accounts, sometimes there were variations. One guy would record something that somebody else did, and didn't, and vice versa. But in this, we have three different accounts, and these three qualifiers are listed precisely Identically and in the same order. Deny Himself is first. It's always first. That's got to come first. Doesn't matter what follows it if that doesn't happen. Deny Himself, take up His cross, and follow Me. And boy, you could talk about that for a year's worth of Sundays. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, verse 21, however. This is uh, the Lord's account with this uh, man who's called the rich young ruler who asks him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus beholding him loved him. Isn't that beautiful? He knows everything about this guy there is. He knows his motives. He knows the thoughts and intents of his heart. And he loves him anyway, just like us. He loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And then he follows it up with, and come, take up the cross and follow me. Isn't it interesting that the last two components are there, but he doesn't tell him to deny himself. Or does he? The Lord knew what this man loved. Just like he did Abraham. He knew what was dear to him. I'm telling you what. He's got our number dialed. There isn't anything that's going on in your little brain that he doesn't know about. He knows your affections. He knows you. And he said, to the, he, he pigeonholed this guy. I mean, called him out right on the spot. This was his Mount Moriah. Because to deny himself would have meant forsaking his treasures and his riches, and denying self might mean something for each one of us. But he knows what is dearest to us, and he will surely meet us right there, right at that threshold. And when he does, it's going to bring us to a decision point, isn't it? A crisis point, like Brother Readout says. Not—it's not an opportunity to fail. It's an opportunity to succeed. Failure is a possible outcome, though, and many times that's what happens. But this is an opportunity to obey and thus an opportunity to succeed because obedience to the Lord always, 100% of the time, brings success. When we obey him, when we respond properly to his challenge in our lives, something happens in us. It, there's affirming or resolving inside in which our faith is being made perfect. Praise God. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 15, and I'm going to close right now. I didn't think I was going to be that long today. So if we could stand. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of the heaven a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, because you obeyed, because you passed the test, because your faith just got perfected in what happened, and has not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed. My voice. I want to tell you, you don't know. You don't know what's hinging upon your commitment. When you make that trip to Mount Moriah, you may not know exactly the consequences, the generational consequences that are going to be the result of your decision, whether it's to obey the Lord or to disobey, whether it's to hold up at the last minute and go, you know what? just can't do it. Or whether it's God, you're still God. No matter what happens, you're still God. You don't know. We don't really know. The consequences of every decision that we make. Some of the consequences that we're faced with, the decisions that we're faced with, are going to have eternal consequences. Abraham walked down that mountain a different man than when he went up because he obeyed. And of all the things that I think God said to him, I think the greatest was when he said, Now I know you fear me. What a commendation that would be to hear that from the Lord God Almighty. Now I know you fear me. Is there a greater thing he could say? Praise the Lord. I'm finished. If anybody wants to take a little bit of time and pray, maybe somebody's heading toward Mount Moriah right now. Maybe somebody's got a big decision ahead of them. If you don't right now, if you don't imminently, it's out there. There will be one that's out there. And then probably another one after that and another one after that. God is absolutely trustworthy. That was the thing that set Abraham apart. That was the thing that made him one of the people and the heroes of faith, is he knew that his God was the God, and he knew he was absolutely trustworthy. Praise the Lord. Can we thank him for a few moments?